This is the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, and I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller reading the sermon of Martin Luther on John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28, preached for the fourth Sunday in Advent. This sermon comes from Luther's House Postal and is published in Columbus, Ohio in the year 1884 and is in the public domain. Here we begin with the gospel reading, John chapter 1, verse 19 to 28. And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then, art thou Elias? He saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer of them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. They which were sent of, were of the Pharisees, and they asked him, and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you, whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchets I am not worthy to unloose. Those things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Luther's Sermon This is also one of the beautiful, glorious gospels about the highest article of our faith, where we do not hear anything about the Ten Commandments or what we are to do, but about something higher, namely what Christ is and what he has done. For John praises him so highly that though he himself led a very holy life, yet he freely confesses, I am not worthy that I should unloose the latchet of his shoes. Therefore this gospel is of nearly the same import with the former, only that here there are other words and persons. For a week ago we heard that everything depends on this, that we do not miss this person, Christ Jesus, but receive him and not let him pass by nor look after others. For whoever finds him finds redemption from sin, death, and hell. For thus God hath resolved that in Christ all fullness should dwell, that he should be all. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Through him alone all patriarchs, prophets, apostles, and saints from the beginning of the world have been saved. This John knows and therefore directs his disciples to him that they may not neglect such a treasure. For this is always the miserable affliction and trouble of the world that men adopt many kinds of plans and ways aside from God's word for getting to heaven as we have seen hitherto in the papacy where one ran to a cloister and became a monk, another fasted, a third sought the intercession of this or that saint and thus every one would have his own plan and find his own way to heaven. To guard against such injurious projects God in the first place gave his word to his people and therein promised that he would help them through the seed of the woman, that is, through his Son, Jesus Christ. To him he has directed us that in him alone should be the way to heaven. Whoever misses him has missed salvation, although he have fasted himself to death and prayed himself to lunacy. Again, Whoever hath received him by faith and put his trust in him hath found forgiveness of sin and eternal salvation, and neither devil nor sin could hinder it. All the patriarchs and prophets followed this way, and thus were saved by faith in Christ. For if ever any one could have gone to heaven by his own holy life, it would certainly have been the holy fathers and prophets, who for God's sake labored and suffered beyond measure in this wicked, ungodly world, 
But they all despaired of their own holiness and clung with firm confidence to the promised blessed seed who should crush the head of the serpent. But the greater part of the Jews at the time of Christ would not follow this way, but thought, What should this carpenter be? We must observe the law, fast, offer services, look sad, give alms. This, no doubt, is the nearest and best way to heaven. This beggar, Jesus of Nazareth, cannot help us. For Christ was altogether poor and wretched, so that whoever did not cling to his miracles and teaching could find nothing else in him that made any impression. Now, in order that the Jews might not suffer him to pass by, nor miss him, our merciful Father so ordered it that John should go before our Lord and sound the trumpet like a herald before the prince, so that when they heard it they might open their eyes and look upon him who immediately followed, who would be the right man. Therefore, when the Jews here send this embassy and ask him whether he were the Christ or Elias or that prophet, he answers plainly, No, I am not he. And when they ask further, What art thou then? Why baptizest thou? What sayest thou of thyself? He answered, I will tell you. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord. That is, I am the trumpet before the prince. Therefore hear my preaching, for he will soon come after me and will baptize you with the Holy Ghost, whilst I, as a servant, baptize only with water. Yea, he standeth already among you, but you know him not. Therefore this is my office for which I am sent, that I should be a crying voice or a preacher in the wilderness, in order that when you hear the sound of my trumpet, you might know that he is here. He who comes next after me is the one. For of this the prophet Isaiah had prophesied in the fortieth chapter, the voice of one that cries in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, etc. I preach not of myself, nor of the law of Moses and the service of your temple and priesthood, but speak openly, and to everyone who will hear it, of this Savior who is to come. Therefore you must not wait for him any longer, as though he were yet far off, but look upon him now. He is already in your midst, though you know him not, but I am to show him to you, that you may know and receive him. This office I now have, and say unto you, The next preacher who will come after me is the Lord himself. He does not yet preach openly, but will be heard soon after me. Look well to it, therefore, that you give heed to him, and do not miss him. Now, as John preached, so it came to pass. For immediately after his baptism, Christ began to work miracles in Galilee, and soon after John sent forth the preaching of his gospel by the twelve apostles and the two and seventy disciples whom he sent out, commanding them to preach, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is, Christ is at hand. And he is the one of whom John testified and said, He will come after me, but he was before me. Now, John was a half year older than Christ the Lord, yet he says, He was before me. This sounds very strangely, and would to the Jews have been a blasphemous word if they had understood it. For who could reconcile this, that John says, He would come after him, that is, that he hath not preached before him, and hitherto no one had acknowledged him as a preacher or a man sent from God, and yet he had been before him, not only personally, or as to his being, but also to his office and power. As he himself says, John, the eighth chapter, before Abraham was, I am, on account of which the Jews wished to stone him. But at this time the Jews did not understand nor regard this. But with these words, John certainly intended to convey this meaning and to indicate the divine glory of this person, as he also sufficiently intimates when he says, I am not worthy to unloose his shoes latchet. Therefore this declaration, he was before me, 
although he shall come after me, is as much as to say, He is much greater, higher, and mightier than I, or any man. He is the one who was before I or others before me preached. That is, he is an eternal divine person. And before he was born on earth from the beginning of the world, he was always with his church and worked all things therein. For if he was before John the Baptist and yet did not live bodily among the people, he must also have been before all the other fathers and prophets who believed in and preached him, since the first promise was given concerning him immediately after the fall of Adam, that he should bruise the serpent's head, that is, redeem our first parents and the whole church from the power of the devil, and give them everlasting salvation. Here the Jews should have given their assent and thought, What a man and person must this be, before whom John so deeply humbles himself, and says that he is not worthy to perform the meanest service for him. Dear John, are you not worthy? Nay, he says, I am not worthy of it. For whoever I might be, I would be nothing compared to this man. Thus he casts all holiness from under this man's feet, and says that he would gladly be content if he could only be permitted to clean his shoes. Now, in order that the Jews might not think that he was humbling himself too much since he had inaugurated baptism and was more than any ordinary preacher, he instructs them well concerning his baptism and says, I baptize with water. That is, I have with me a sign of my preaching, like the other prophets. Jeremiah wore a wooden yoke. Isaiah went naked and barefoot when he prophesied to the Egyptians and Ethiopians how they should be plundered and stripped by the enemies. Isaiah 20. Thus John says, I also have a new sermon and a new sign. I preach that you should prepare the way of the Lord. I would not need to preach this if the way had been prepared before. Then I wash and baptize you as a sign that you are unclean and defiled and must be cleansed. But I do not baptize you in my own name, or thinking that I could cleanse you, but in his name, concerning whom I preach, namely that you may know and believe that he is the one who baptizes you through the Holy Ghost. And yet even through this my office and baptism which I began, he will work, and for his sake my water baptism will be valid and effectual. For concerning John's baptism we must know also this, that it was not only a sign or symbol or indication, as Isaiah's going naked and barefoot, and as Isaiah's wearing the yoke, were admonitions that the people should repent, but it was also a sign through which they should be awakened to believe in Christ and know that for his sake, if they turn unto God and believe in the Savior, they should have forgiveness of sins. And thus John herewith commended the office of the New Testament, that is, the same preaching concerning the Savior Christ, and the same baptism which were afterwards spread abroad further by the Savior himself and the apostles. Thus the preaching of John is directed to this, that they should not let this man pass by, but think of him. Behold, he has told us of the one who should arise after him. This must certainly be this Jesus who now attracts so much attention by his preaching and miracles. But what happened? They heard John indeed, but did not believe his testimony. Nay, put both of them to death, Christ and his forerunner, cut John's head off and crucified Christ, of whom John had so faithfully preached and warned everyone to receive him. Such pious hypocrites there have always been who not only despised the preaching of the prophets and persecuted and put them to death on account of it, but also afterward crucified the Lord himself who the prophets foretell. And this is still the case. For Christ must be crucified not only in his own person, but also in his members. With John, we would fain direct everyone to the right way of salvation and say, Out of Christ there is no forgiveness of sins nor eternal life. But what takes place? 
the more faithfully we warn people against their own good works as a false ground and direct them to the true rock, Christ, the more our opponents call us heretics and condemn us. For this does not agree with their teachers, as everyone knows. They direct them to their cloisters, to the sacrifices of the mass, to their masses for the souls of the departed, appoint vigils, ordain worship, go on pilgrimages, buy indulgences, etc. But this is not directing to Christ, but seeking other ways to heaven aside from Christ. Against this we speak, and admonish the people to hold fast the testimony of John, who directs us unto Christ. The Pope and his hangers-on cannot endure this, but condemn us on this account as heretics, and if they could, they would reward and thank us just as the Jews did holy John. But why are they so inimical? Why can they not tolerate us? For no other reason than because we, with John, preach that they should humble themselves before Christ, and that with all their good works they are not worthy to wipe his shoes. For they themselves must confess that John was much holier than they, yet he says, I will not and cannot speak in praise of my own holiness. If only this grace could be shown me that I might take off or wipe the shoes of this man, it would be sufficient for me. Such humility we would like to call forth through the gospel, and therefore admonish everyone according to our office to avoid sins and be pious, yet not to comfort themselves before God with such piety, but like John to regard their own good works and honorable life as filthy rags when compared with the high, pure, perfect, and great righteousness which our Lord Jesus Christ has wrought out for us by his suffering and death. But Pope and bishops, monk and priests, will not follow the word. They cannot and will not let go their confidence in their own and the deceased saints' merits. Therefore they have no desire to be made partakers of the benefit and merit of our Lord Jesus Christ, comforting themselves with it like God-fearing hearts who fear their sin and dread the wrath and judgment of God is entirely out of the question. Like insane people who have never thought of, much less felt, what sin and death are, they keep crying out yet that man is justified not only through faith, but that works also add their part, and are not willing thereto like John, who disregards all holiness and thinks himself, compared with Christ, not better than an old rag with which to clean soiled shoes, to let Christ be their treasure, but set so much value upon their own human holiness and works that they think them worthy of eternal life. Therefore they can in no way tolerate comparing their worship and holiness with old rags. Nay, they imagine that Christ delights in them and that he must give them eternal life for them. Therefore no one should take offense at this, that the papists of our time despise and persecute the gospel. The same thing happened to John, Christ, and the apostles themselves. Their doctrine was not only despised, but they were, on account of it, persecuted and miserably put to death. Well, the Jews received their reward so they who despise and slander us will not escape their punishment. But let us thank God that we have the pure word again. And above all things, let us take heed to the preaching of John when he says, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And again, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Here he says nothing about our works, merits, etc., but points us directly to Christ in whom we find and have it all. Then too, we ought diligently to contemplate the example of John's humility, that he who has Christ testified has not his equal among them who are born of women, so that, of course, all the monks and priests who ever lived under the papacy with all their holiness are unfit to bear him a drink of water, humbles himself so deeply as to say that with all his holiness and good works he is not worthy to stoop down and unloose the Savior's shoe latchet. Let this be an example of humility and 
in John, which we not only notice but also imitate, we should do good works, and that with the greatest diligence. For thus God has told and commanded us in the Ten Commandments, and it is surely not in vain that he has given us these from heaven. It is his word, hence he wishes to keep it. Therefore let everyone use diligence to live according to it, and thus to show forth his obedience and thankfulness towards God, that he has given us his dear Son, who for our sakes humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, on which he rendered satisfaction for the sin of the whole world. On this man's obedience and work, place your dependence and build firmly upon it and cast all the good you have ever done at his feet and confess freely and heartily with John that it is not worthy that you should wipe the Savior's shoes with it. Before men, it is indeed fine, clean, beautiful cloth, a costly treasure and virtue, that you are no adulterer, no thief, nor murderer, that you give alms and are diligent in your office or calling. This we may and should praise in the world and regard it as a satin, silk, and gold. But when you come before God and his judgments, say, Before thee, Lord, my best satin and gold are worse than tatters. Therefore judge me not according to my works. I will willingly let them be thy old rags and thy son's footclouts, and will gladly be content if I may only be deemed worthy even of this. Thus St. Paul also does when he says, Philippians 3, I am an Israelite, as touching the law, a Pharisee, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. This we may indeed regard as something unusual when a man can thus praise himself. Yet, says he, for Christ's sake, I regard all this holiness as loss and dung. It is my highest joy and best consolation that I shall be found not in my own righteousness, which is after the law, but in that which comes through faith in Christ, which God imputes to faith. Here Paul speaks still more plainly than John. The latter gives this matter a little finer turn and calls his good works shoe clouts, but Paul calls them dirt and dung. This is speaking filthily enough about our holy life. But St. Paul speaks of such a life as that of the Pharisees and hypocrites, in which men without and aside from faith in Christ place their confidence in their own works and presume therewith to merit forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Now, it is true that it is God's will that we should live in all virtues, and, as St. Paul says, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless as he often writes in other places, and especially in the same epistle to the Philippians, where he says, chapter 2, So live that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, etc. And likewise, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. And since such righteousness is according to the law of works, surely it cannot be condemned. Nay, it is also certain that such a life and good works in those who believe in Christ are well-pleasing to God for the sake of the same mediator, Jesus Christ, and that, according to the promise, they will be rewarded of God temporarily and eternally. But beside this, we should always and especially know that we must not build the honor of our worthiness or merit nor the comfort of our salvation upon our life. For however good or holy our life may be, it is not without sin or impurity before God. Therefore it cannot stand before the judgment of God, as the holy prophets also often confess in the scriptures. But only the righteousness and holiness of God will avail there, who, through his obedience and the sacrifice of his suffering and death, has propitiated and taken away God's wrath, which we have deserved, and purchased for us and given to us the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. 
so that for his sake, if we believe in him, we are acceptable to God and heirs of eternal life. To this we can never attain through our own works and holiness. Therefore, although our life and the good works in us who believe in Christ are acceptable to God, and we thereby serve the Lord Jesus and have the reputation of a good conscience before the whole world, yet we have on their account no honor before God in his judgment. As St. Paul also says in Romans chapter 4 about the Holy Father Abraham, Abraham hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Therefore, when we speak of righteousness before God and forgiveness of sins, redemption from eternal death, and merit of eternal life, we must humble ourselves with John the Baptist and Paul and say, I cling to my Lord Jesus and his holiness, which he promises and gives to me in baptism, in the word and sacrament, and am content to be a poor worm, in order that we may make a distinction between our life and holiness and the righteousness of Christ. For our holiness and life will not stand against God's wrath and eternal death, but everything, if it be found without Christ, will be swallowed up by death. The heathen have also maintained good discipline and propriety of conduct, and have done and suffered much for their country, whereof also they ought to be praised. But thereby they have not attained to forgiveness of sin, righteousness before God, and with all their honor death has snatched them away. But in order that we may lay hold of that righteousness and holiness which avails before God and unto eternal life, it is necessary that we humble ourselves with John and say, Lord, here comes a poor little rag, an old, torn, filthy shoe clout, or as Paul says, stinking dirt, if it should come before thee without Christ. Before the world and aside from thy judgment, it may indeed be a musk, satin, and gold. But before thee, Lord, let me be an old rag or footcloth with which I may wipe the shoes of thy son and grant me his righteousness. For he, with his righteousness, is my dearest and most precious treasure. For I know that through him and his righteousness I shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, whilst through my own righteousness I must go down to, into the abyss of hell. Hence we must freely and fully conclude that our monks' and priests' life, cloisters, and all things of this kind that may be mentioned all belong to the devil and hell. For with their good works they do not look to this, that they may render due obedience to God and give offense to no one, but they therewith might be saved. Therefore they also sell their good works to other people. But this is denying Christ, nay, mocking him, as the Jews also mocked him. Of such an abomination we should, be, we should beware, and learn here how to meet such deceivers, that we may say to them, Thou poor man, dost thou undertake to save me with thy filthy works and holiness? John, Paul, Peter, and the other saints could not do this, else they would not have thought and spoken so despairingly of their own holiness. If we would still use the cloisters as training houses to educate youths and let them study the scriptures, it would be a very beneficial practical use. But the Pope and his ungodly hangers-on will not permit this, but direct everyone through such cloister life to heaven. But they will surely find in this way a heaven where flame and fire strike out the windows. Therefore it would be much better to have such cloisters raised to the ground than that people should thus be turned away from Christ and injured in body and soul. Learn then from this gospel, as in a summary, that we should live justly and honorable among men, be diligent in good works, and give offense to no one. God demands such obedience by his law, and will have us render it. And if we do not render it, he will visit us with the scourge, and with the hangman, with the sword, and at last with the fire of hell. 
This, I say, we are bound to do by the divine law. But when thou comest before God, say, Lord, as far as my works and holiness are concerned, I am lost. Therefore, I desire to be an old rag at the feet of my Lord Jesus. For by my life I have deserved nothing but that he should cast me into hell. But I desire his holiness, that he would sanctify me with another, better, and eternal holiness. Thus I can surely comfort myself and await eternal life. Neither pope nor bishops are willing to hear this, for they see well what must follow, namely that bishoprics and cloisters, the mass, and all their false worship would not last long. Therefore they hold fast to them so tenaciously, the most of them for the sake of their belly, the smaller number because they hope to be saved thereby. John did not do this, neither did Paul, but they do not wish to retain their own righteousness and holiness. So also all Christians should do, saying with Paul, My holiness is stinking filth and rubbish before God. If I would thereby seek to merit grace and eternal life, and with John, my holiness is an old rag if I compare it with the holiness and works of Christ. But the papists will be neither dirt nor rags with their masses, vows, fasting, and praying, but put us to death because we do not agree with them and strive to direct the people into another and better way. Well, they are a generation of vipers, out of which nothing good can ever grow. But they will find what they are seeking. But let us take good heed to the mouth and finger of John, with which he points and directs us, in order that we may not overlook nor miss our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom he so diligently and faithfully leads and guides us. This is the chief doctrine of this gospel lesson, that John so diligently points from himself to the Lord Christ, and thus so deeply humbles himself, and so highly exalts and praises Christ. The other part, that the Pharisees and high priests send to John, and presume to put down and forbid his baptizing and preaching, because he himself says that he is neither Christ nor Elias nor a prophet, likewise that he makes a difference between his baptism, where, wherewith he baptizes as a servant, and the baptism of Christ, who himself is Lord, and who alone can give the Spirit, these would be too long to treat of here, except that we should learn this from them, yet how the world, and especially what is wise and high in the world, is the enemy of God's works and would like to smother and suppress them, as the high priests and Pharisees do here. But John has the right spirit and power of Elias, that is, an unterrified heart, does not suffer his preaching nor baptizing to be forbidden until Herod takes him by the head, casts him into the tower, and finally kills him. This he suffers for God's sake willingly and patiently in the sure hope that through his Lord and Redeemer Jesus Christ he will have a gracious God and eternal life. May God, our dear Heavenly Father, grant us this through his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been Martin Luther's sermon for the fourth Sunday in Advent. For more information about the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, visit the website of Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org.